into a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars. Hello and welcome to the cool room. It's uh, one of your co-hosts, David Griffiths here, welcoming you to another one of our special online Meet the Brewer sessions tonight with Akasha. See how professionally I said that? I didn't say Akasha, which is what I would have said 30 seconds ago before I asked the guys the best way to pronounce things. Um, welcome people in the Zoom room, welcome podcast listeners, uh, those who are familiar with our online Meet the Brewer sessions will know that we always kick off with just a little bit of housekeeping to set the table. Uh, so a few things tonight to get your heads across. Uh, tonight is designed to be enjoyed with four beers in your hands from the good people of Akasha. We're going to kick off with the Canada Bay XPA, then the Hopsmith, then we're going to go over to the uh, Mosaic and then the Double Hazy Mosaic. And for people in the Zoom room, we'll have a little break in between so that you can powder your noses or whatever else it is that you might need to do. Uh, we don't suggest that you try and drink all of those uh, cans that you have in front of you in the time that we have available to us. So if you're watching live on Zoom, make yourselves little tasting paddles, or if you're listening to the podcast, uh, feel free to pause after each of the beers before we move on to the next one. Uh, we'll certainly make it pretty clear to people when we're going to move from one beer to another. That way you can enjoy responsibly and remember all of the exciting things you're going to learn as we go along tonight. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who's uh, started to listen recently to us on the podcasts. We're seeing a big uptick in uh, downloads, particularly from Germany and the US at the moment, which is pretty awesome for us. So uh, don't forget to rate and review us and share on your social medias if you're listening to the podcast that you're doing so, so that more and more people can find out about the episodes. And um, if you're not already following us on the social medias, that's also where you find out about the uh, episodes and Zoom things that we have coming up. On Sunday afternoon, we're going to drink some of the freshly landed stone beers and also some new deeds. And then our Meet the Brewers series goes to uh, Weinstefan live from Munich next Thursday night. And then Beer Farm from Western Australia and Mr. Banks from Melbourne all of which come with tasting packs, all of which are available from our online store uh, on Shopify. So find us on the social medias and you'll be able to find the store pretty easily from there, I hope. Uh, Travis Bristos, he of the ceiling windows, which are allowing a little bit of Melbourne light in as daylight savings gets closer and closer. How are you, brother? I'm very well, David. Very well. Um, no, it's dark now. We're, we're good to go. Excellent conditions for night, as they say. Why don't you interview the, introduce the guys and we'll get underway. We've got three guests tonight, so this will take a little bit more coordinating uh, than usual. 100%. Thanks, David. Uh, tonight we've got George, Matt and Larry. How are you guys? Thanks for having us. Always feel free to talk over each other. It's, uh, it's the only way we're going to get through it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Very well. So everyone's uh, probably cracked open their, their Canadian Bay XBA. But before we sort of get on to the, the tasting notes of the beer and talking about the beer, um, how about you, uh, you give our guys that are in the Zoom room tonight, along with our overseas listeners, paint us a picture of the brewery. Where are you guys located? I guess I'll, uh, I'll take this. So we're actually located up in sunny Sydney. Um, we're roughly about 10 kilometers uh, west west of the CBD so right near the old Olympic site actually so in uh, in the Canada Bay Council region 
There you go. That was actually going to be my next question in relation to the name of this beer. So you've already ticked one of the boxes. That's awesome. <laughs> we love organized guests. <laughs> you've obviously read the notes beforehand, which we, which we like. Um, tell us, uh, how'd the brewery start? So the brewery started uh, in 2015. We've been going for, yeah, obviously uh, five and a half years now. It's uh, gone very quickly. Uh, started by our founder, Zach Patton, who he has a passion for hop forward beers, uh, which we all, every single one of us, uh, love very dearly. Um, yeah, been going, been going for five and a half years now. Um, the name Akasha, uh, which is, I won't, uh, I won't, I won't spoil the, uh, the story there, and we'll, we can get into what that means going forward. Hundred percent. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you, you can spoil it now, but we can definitely uh, touch base on this this later on as well. Um, and my, maybe now is a, a good sort of roundtable time. How did each of you guys come to be at Akasha? Maybe starting with you, Matt. So I've been at Akasha now, the longest with Larry and George. I started four years ago uh, with the brewery, uh, came on as uh, our second sales person here and have grown into the national role, uh, looking after a team of now uh, six people on the, on the road. Uh, originally working in pubs, uh, which is how I actually first met George and uh, has a big passion for independent beer and talking all things good beer. Amazing. Nice. How about you, Larry? Um, so I've, I've just ticked over uh, my two years with us this month. So um, it's been a good, really good two years actually. And I um, started before this, I, I, I've been working in uh, bottle shops and, and pubs for uh, the best part of 10 years really. So just in that, in that side of the industry and, um, you know, I've been wanting to sort of move across to something else for a little while. Had seen quite a few jobs, you know, on the, on the beer side of things come up and then this one did. Um, I'd, I'd already loved the Akasha beers that I'd had um, previously. So I was like, yeah, look, let's see how I go. And then, you know, two years later, here I am. So just, um, yeah, move, made the move from um, the retail and, and hospo side over to the sales side. And you're the sales rep, Larry, for Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia? Yeah, yeah. So Is I started... That, um, a lot of trouble for you or...? Uh, well, so I started off originally just doing Vic, uh, and then I've and I've taken over, or I started doing um, SANWA over the past only the past few months. So no travel at all. <laughs> uh, the plan, the, the plan originally, and you know when we can, will be to you know get over there as often as I can and, and um, do a bit of uh, you know face to face stuff in, in SANWA. But at the moment, you know, all at home. Amazing. And, uh, and George, uh, brewery operations manager, uh, how did you come to be there? Um, it was, as Matt said, I had a different life working in pubs beforehand while I was at uni, uh, working at a Australian craft beer focused pub here in Sydney and completely fell more and more in love with beer and less in love with the degree I was doing. And, uh, Towards the end of my degree, I had a year to go and spend in the States, my partner, who's American. So we went and lived there for a year. I needed something to do for the year. So I reached out to a bunch of breweries there. Uh, luckily, one took me on to scrub some floors and gradually kind of learnt the process there. And um, at the end of that year, I came back and was working in a pub in, uh, in the city again and just happened to 
stumbling to Matt and the rest of the Akasha team who had just had their AGM that year and said that I was looking for brewing work and they were looking for a new brewer. And so it all kind of just fell into place. And so that was uh, end of 2017. So I've been there for two and a half years now, coming up on three at the end of this year. Ah, amazing. Nice. Talk about um, right place, right time. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah, we've got, you know, a lot of our listeners always have the discussion about working in a brewery or, or being a beer rep and you just happen to sort of land a right spot. Yeah. I think the model Georgia story is that everyone has to go out and look for that job, squeegeeing brewery floors and scrubbing their <laughs> tongues and then hope it goes from somewhere. Cleaning the bats and the whole bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or just hang around in pubs waiting for brewers to walk in who need an extra brewer. That might be the other part of it. I think that's the more important thing. Spend more time at pubs. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of us, we live in Victoria, so that's not an option at the moment, but hopefully soon. Um, we are starting with the Canada Bay XBA tonight. Um, it's a super easy drinking beer. I opened mine well before we started this record and I feel like I'm going to finish it well before we finish talking about it. So um, how, how is it for you guys? How easy is it to have a range of beers that extends from sort of the easy drinking to the more extreme beers firstly? Uh, this is actually, uh, sorry, Larry. No, no, go on. This is actually a, a brand new entrant into our, into our core range. It's, um, it's actually probably even the, one of the first times we've had such an easy drinking beer in our core range. Um, and, but I think that it is a really important part that does lead into some of the bigger beers that we're going to go to. Um, you know, we uh, had, uh, had, an, had an event uh, a week or two ago and I had, had three very quick spooners within an hour. I think it's, uh, I think it's super important to have uh, these, these easy drinking beers. It still maintains the hop forward nature of what we love about our, our beers in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Matt was saying, you know, the, 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 our core range before the sort of the, you know, the full uh, rebrand was made up of some mostly bigger beers and, and very, very hop heavy beers, which while, you know, while great, they're a bit, they weren't as easy to smash down as a few of these that I've been noticing. We thought that's a, you know, it's a very important thing to have to have in your stable as a beer that's just a, a much more sessionable and approachable kind of, um, you know, autopilot kind of beer. And for the, from the perspective of the, of the production team as well, it's a pretty unique challenge because obviously we all as brewers love doing those crazy beers full of flavour, full of whatever you can do, pushing limits. But to be able to produce something that has that kind of flavour and that uh, schooner test where you finish one, do you want another? to be able to put all that flavor into beer that you can drink time and time again. Uh, that was a real challenge for us to create something like that. And yeah, we're really stoked with how it's turned out. And it's definitely my new golf beer. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's super easy to drink. Um, is this the first XBA you guys have done? No. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a re- I mean, we've, we've sort of back when the XBA is, uh, we're sort of starting out. We actually did have an XBA back in the day that was uh, it was an extra pale ale, so it was actually a six percent big big version of a uh, of an XBA. But this is probably our, our as the style has now developed into that sort of easier drinking uh, varietal. It's this is our first uh, big release, not just as a taproom only kind of thing. Um, and why don't you give our listeners a bit of a rundown on? 
on what they should be tasting while they're they're sitting in the Zoom room, and obviously on the when they listen to the podcast later on, if they've got the tasting pack, um, give us a bit of a breakdown on the tasting notes. Uh, I guess I'll take it. So this beer, when it initially started, was a beer for our locals, the Canada Bay area, is our home. Uh, we wanted to create something kind of just for them that um, was approachable to the area that we were in. And it just kind of grew in popularity and we realized we had to share it with as many people as we possibly could. And so uh, in keeping with that kind of local and home kind of vibe, it is uh, all Australian beer. So the hops we use are Galaxy, um, obviously a staple in many uh, XBAs here in Australia. We also use Australian Cascade, uh, slightly different to its US uh, sibling, uh, not quite as I would say uh, grapefruity that you get uh, with some of the US Cascade beers that you can try. But I think the balance that we have in this one highlights the tropical fruit notes that you get from the Galaxy with a bit more of a solid piney kind of finish to it, uh, which I think gets the both, best of both worlds. But as you can, if whoever's poured it into a glass, you can probably see it's a nice light kind of haze. So you will get those tropical fruit aromas, but the big thing with this one to make it a really sessionable beer, uh, it's got a quite a dry finish. So you don't have any of that kind of lingering sweetness that can kind of determine whether or not you'll have another one. Um, goes, it's got plenty of flavor, but dry enough to keep you wanting more. Uh, we had one of our listeners in the Zoom room ask a, a quick question, um, which probably brings us back to what we spoke about before about your previous version of an XBA. Um, what's your definition of an XBA? You leave oh, me a, question. a great uh, question. A great question. Yeah, I mean, I think like most styles these days, there's a fair bit of room for interpretation. Obviously, during the early days, extra pale ale, we were of the thought that extra meant extra hops extra slightly extra bitterness um but slightly more alcohol as well but i think now the trend that we've seen and the reaction to what an xba is to perceive to be is something that still sits at that lower abv lower bitterness but has that more intense kind of hop aroma and flavor than you'd expect um but i think Dryness is still a key. Any of the big ones out there, you'll you'll notice they're they're not not sweet. They're not sitting uh, in your mouth after you finish drinking it. Um, and so I think for us, that's what we've kind of aimed for. Um, but again, completely open to everyone's interpretation. I guess as the as the market in general has gone has trended towards this this type of XPA. There's only only so long that we can you know push that barrow of our initial extra pale ale until we kind of have to go all right well you know if everyone else is doing this because an xba this is what this is where that that style is, is heading towards and we'll sort of embrace that it's a totally fair question because i'd have always supposed that xba was supposed to have more of all of those things in it that's you know you know there's not too many things where you go oh, i'll have the extra one that has less of those things in it please <laughs> it isn't it is an interesting kind of uh development with the style but you know these things often just take on i guess um you know life of their own and then just the, the, the just snowballs and then you know we end up with a you know as a as a style uh, you know i guess a set of stands that you just sort of can't can't ignore is that a new south wales thing do you reckon i'm thinking sort of about the modus xba and a few others that we've had on the show 
kind of recently or are you sort of seeing other examples from around Australia or around the world that you'd point people to that are more of this style of XPA? I think that um, from, from what we've seen, it is, a, it is more of an Australian-wide thing. I believe the, at the Indies last year, uh, this sort of, this Australian, Australian ale sort of fit into where a lot of XPAs were entered into. Um, so I think that it is starting to become more of an industry-wide uh, definition of what an XBA is. But I think it, I, I believe this is very much an Australian thing. I haven't seen too many XBAs from around the world uh, in general and, and, and ones that fit the, the lower definition. So mm. I think it is quite a uniquely Australian thing. Yeah. Uh, it looks like we've been joined by Mr. Warren Wu this evening. Howdy. Hello. I'm not even sure how long Warren's been sitting in the Zoom room. I kind of feel like he's jibbed us all in our... our no, no, 6, 6.43. So. 6.43. Shana in the Zoom room pointed it out. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, uh, gents, this is Warren. Uh, Warren's Hello. going to lead us in our next beer. Um, but before we do, I feel like most people are going to smash through this XBA pretty quickly, um, which is quite amazing. I could actually sit on this. Like if I was out at a pub right now, this would probably be the beer I sit on all night and wouldn't have any issues with that whatsoever. It's very, yes. very drinkable. Really, what it was designed for, and I think um, George might have mentioned it briefly, but the the schooner test or the, the two schooner test is you know really important with with all of our beers, but especially with this one, it was one that was like, you know, are you are you more, are you happy to sit down and just have schooner and screw after this of, of this one, uh, which I think yeah, it definitely passes that test for sure. I will point out as well. I forgot to mention earlier for anyone that has had this beer before uh, with the rebrand, we took the opportunity to tweak some of our recipes and. This one especially got uh, a fair bit of attention because uh, we really wanted to, to have this mass appeal but still have the Akasha um, characteristics and values that each of our beers should have. Uh, and so if you haven't had it, uh, the new updated recipe, I'd strongly recommend. Obviously, if you're trying it now or anyone else, you could recommend to try it again um, because, yeah, it's, I think it's just brought new life to the beer, hopefully, this new recipe. Yeah, well, the Canada Bay Ale and the Canada Bay XPA really are two very, very different beers. The names sort of stayed as a bit of a tribute to that our local area, but the beers themselves and you know the stuff in the can is is quite different. Yeah, nice. guys. Uh, in terms of of the the kind of the evolution of your beers, has has a few of your recipes changed with the the updated branding and and have the have the beers full stop kind of moved around as as they've as you brewed them as you've kind of rebrewed them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our core range, the next beer that we'll get into, the Hopsmith especially, is a five-year-old recipe. And so throughout its life, it's had subtle changes um, to really not so much stay relevant, but just be a reflection of how we've developed as brewers, how the Australian public have developed in their drinking of craft beer. Uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on it uh, later throughout the night when we go into the rebrand a bit in a bit more detail. But... We've done a lot of market research <clears throat> coming into this year and with the whole rebrand in mind. And one of the strong things that came out was people loving our beers, but uh, wanting them to be slightly more approachable in terms of the ABV. And so you'll notice some of them, like the Hopsmith and the Mosaic, have come down about 0.4%. Um, and 
the reason for that is because it's the way that a taste in Australia really are changing. People want the same flavor. People want the same enjoyment that you get out of every beer with slightly less um, side effects from the alcohol, obviously. But so for us, the challenge going into it and something like this was to uh, be able to maintain that flavor, maintain our identity as Akasha, loving our hop forward beers, but still bring it into that slightly more approachable range. Uh, and this beer, for an example, one of the things that we didn't quite think that suited that was uh, the color before was more like our pails and IPAs, a little bit darker, but um, with some changes to the malt bill, we've been able to lighten that up more of a pale kind of straw color, um, which has pretty surprising subliminal effects. I think when you're drinking them, seeing a lighter, uh, hazier kind of look in the glass and also backing off that bitterness as well. I think it is really interesting what um, uh, the appearance of a beer does to how you perceive flavors and aromas as well. Like I think that that sort of straw color really does, uh, even before you taste it or smell it, just give you, it just sort of, you have an idea going into it of what you're going to, you know, smell and taste. And then, and also then even, you know, having it out of the can and having it blind, it, it does still meet those, I guess, expectations for me at least. Well, shall we move on to the Hoppersmith then, if everyone's sort of ready to move down that little path? And I've seen Warren a couple can... of people already crack open the Hoppersmith, so I reckon now is a good time, including Dan in our Zoom room just held it up to the camera and it looks damn good. <laughs> it's... So like um, George was saying, you know, before that, that XPA had that kind of... Sort of pale straw colour and he alludes to the darker, the darker colour of the, our IPAs now. Um, freshwater pale, this definitely does have that kind of deep gold colour to it. So in the tonnes and tonnes of research we do for each one of these episodes, we discover that this is one of your best sellers. Is that the case in trade and at the, um, and at the, the pub and in your, your tap room? Yeah, 100%. Uh, the, the Hopsmith basically makes up a third of our, a third of our, the revenue that we derive. Wow. It's, uh, it is definitely our flagship beer and our, our number one beer. It's uh, a big beer for us. Um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the tap room, um, how much feedback do you... I suppose I'm touching on that, the idea of the evolving recipes too. How much feedback do your regulars give you and how, how much do you, do you take that on board and what type of stuff do you normally hear from them? Look, we... we I think feedback is so important. I think as, as George will probably say in that we've had a couple of uh, tweaks to the Hopsmith over, over the years, as, as George mentioned. I think that, you know, if you're not, if you're not growing, you're atrophying and I think that as with as with anything we haven't we have hopsmith from the very get-go there's been a west coast american style ipa mm. and it's evolved with that style over the five and a half years that it's been available um it's that still stayed true to the to the three hops that we have used in it that that part has not ever changed we've um recently uh oh sorry larry did were you going to add something to that oh, i was just going to say george george did sort of mention um you know, the palette of Australian uh, craft beer drinkers sort of changing a bit and evolving over the last few years. And this, yeah, like Matt said, the hops are still the same in this beer, but 
just the way we've used them has has also evolved along with that a little bit. You know, probably going back um, going back a few years, uh, lots of IPAs are sort of just that that big bitter IPA, um, and then it's trended towards less of that bitterness and more sort of big aromas of, of fruit and that kind of thing. And that's where sort of Hopsmith's gone as well. Um, there is definitely still a bit of that bitterness because you know we need that to balance out everything else, and it's always about balance of that for us. But um, it definitely, yeah, it, it has sort of changed in that regard a little bit as well, just to sort of suit what people are, are wanting. It's kind of, and that's funny that you say that because that's kind of been a little bit of a theme throughout the last few podcasts when we discuss IPAs and and particularly the West Coast numbers like this one's, this one is that yeah people the 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 consensus is that they that people are looking at the less kind of overtly super bitter numbers and and more focusing on hop aromas. Um, mm. Yeah, is that is that across most you you guys are you guys are, uh, are focused on IPAs and it's, it's very much part of what you guys do. Is that is is that across the board? Do you feel like with most of your beers that that the IPA is you, you, that you're pulling back the IBUs and and pushing more aromatic hops? So I think uh, definitely exactly accurate. I, I think it did happen kind of a while ago and like. Uh, most things in life, it's beer and beer popularity is quite reactionary. And so back in the early kind of 2010s when um, IPAs were really, West Coast IPAs were making it really big out here, it was kind of a race to who could produce the most IBUs and who could get the most bitter beer possible. And uh, they just kind of went out of control. And um, from that, we've seen that kind of fall off and Hopsmith did take that when the recipe started and throughout its progression has dropped back a bit, but probably won't ever go lower than it is now uh, just because that it is what it is. That's a West coast to us. We think um, the balance is perfect where it is, but you see it now with the hazies that uh, have lost all bitterness and are now erring more towards the side of sweetness and I think we're probably starting to get into that phase now where that's going a little bit too far. And we're probably going to see that start to come back again towards the middle. Um, I know anecdotally from chatting with a few other brewers that hazies, um, the hazies they're making now, they are starting to add a bit more uh, in terms of bittering hops early in the boil, uh, just to kind of compensate people's tastes uh, when those beers are so full of lactose and other sugars that are a residual sweetness that kind of leaves you overwhelmingly full, uh, backing away from that a bit more and kind of finding a happy middle. So for this beer, I think it sits perfectly where it is. Definitely when we have play with uh, our other Akasha project beers, we get to kind of play with that balance a little more. Um, but for us, yeah, this for us as a West Coast IPA sits perfectly where it needs to. With the bitterness as well, like, I mean, I, I do love a, a really big, bitter IPA, but I also realise that I think it's a very, it's a, it, that's appealing to a very small market of people. Um, and I'm, I'm, I think maybe that this um, movement towards that lower bitterness might also be reflective of just more people getting into craft beer and, and that, I guess, the, those lower, less bitter IPAs having a bit more of a broader appeal rather than just sort of that very, very niche group that originally, you know, 
wanted that big bit of thing, but it was only a very, very small market. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's a really good comment, Larry. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good reflection. Sense. Yeah. I'm good for a, I'm good for a smart comment every every couple of years. <laughs> we can mute you now, Larry, and that'll be your contribution taken care of. Uh, we we like that in the cool room. People just toying in with the little smart comments from here and there. So good to see. You. Um, Max in the Max in the chat room has has uh, asked a really interesting question. Um, is there a certain IBU or early bittering edition amount that that says to you guys west coast ipa like what's the ibus which 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 are your lower limit for for a west coast ipa and when does it start becoming a i don't know um uh, yeah when does it start becoming a something else or regular uh yeah so his question seeing it into a hazy i mean the level of hops that you would use in a west coast wouldn't ever kind of come into the same kind of play in a hazy and obviously there's so much more going on with the extra proteins and haze and all that sort of stuff but i wouldn't say there's any kind of set number and uh even our ipas and pale ales aren't too dissimilar um but it's i think as a whole ibus have dropped pretty rapidly uh i remember when beers were kind of up around the 100 to 150 ibus for a west coast um Pretty sure this Hopsmith sits, um, unless it's on the can, but from memory, it sits around 60, which isn't that crazy. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, it is, again, up to interpretation. I don't think there is any kind of set point uh, that there is, it switches over between the two. And George, I know Dave's talked a bit about IBUs becoming a bit less and less relevant as well in beers in terms of um, what is actually perceived bitterness and what is... Um, what, you know, the, the amount of hops that added just for aromatics and that kind of thing as well. Yeah, definitely. Especially with the haze, the, the amount of hops that are going, hazy beers, sorry, the amount of hops that are going into those beers uh, create something, an entirely different process of bittering. And so the traditional methods for measuring IBU, international bitterness units, whatever it is, uh, don't quite apply and they're not as accurate or... Um, they don't relate as well to the actual beer. Um, there's a lot more scientific ways you can work out the actual bitterness, but these days I don't think there are too many consumers picking up a can or looking at a depot and basing their purchase on IBUs. Hmm. Um, a follow-up and a follow-up to that. I know you guys are probably pretty strict as most of the breweries are on their recipes and God staying to a recipe and maybe changing a recipe. Is there room for feel and taste and, and kind of coming back and, and altering things uh, on the fly with every particular batch? Is there for, for you guys, is there room for that? Yeah, absolutely. And so every single batch that we do, every single turn of every batch um, takes four turns to fill a tank will be different and we'll have slight variations. Um, and that's can be purely up to a brewer's methods or it can be the ingredients that we get. For the most part, we work with really awesome suppliers who give us really high quality uh, and consistent products. So we don't have to worry too much, but there is definitely scope for us to uh, alter at any stage of the process if we need to. And we have, one of the things that Akasha really was founded on when Dave set this whole brewery up five years ago was uh, quality. 
So anyone can make a great beer and I'm sure lots of home brewers out there have, but the key thing in our success is being able to maintain that quality. And we set ourselves really strict, really high standards. And so from day one in the brewery, Dave set up a pretty uh, extensive lab and labbing uh, process in the brewery. It's grown pretty, pretty large now. Uh, and so every day that a beer is in tank, it'll get a whole bunch of different tests done on it while it's fermenting throughout every stage of the brewing process as it's being brewed, it's constantly getting tested. And yeah, it is, the brewers will be the first ones to notice that something's wrong and we'll make adjustments. Um, in terms of broader recipe changes, we're definitely not opposed to uh, changes if we feel like it, if we feel like it, uh, sorry, requires it. We probably spend too much time around our beers. So it's good to get, as you are mentioning earlier, our locals and their feedback, they drink as much of the, our beer as we do. And so as we see our, um, the, our taste changing, the taste of the Australian consumers changing, we're able to adapt. And if we think beer really needs it, it's not just change for the sake of change, we'll happily make those changes. Are you able to give us an example maybe of one of those things mm. that you see when you're labbing the beer and an adjustment that you might make? Because that's, you know, for people who are home brewers, it's that sort of, by the time it's all in the fermenter, you then just cross your fingers and anything else you want to cross and hope that it comes out okay at the other end. What kinds of things are you sort of looking for and adjusting? Is there an example you could give? Uh, yeah, so there's one actually this afternoon. I was chatting to our lead brewer, Dirk, and... Um, a really key feature in a finished beer once all the dry hops are in, fermentation's done, past VDK, and it's chilled down, is making sure that the pH of the beer is within the limits that we want. Uh, I think as a home brewer, it's probably not something that you can focus on or do much with, but for us, it's really important. And so throughout the, process, the brewing process, we're adding... Um, lactic acid as we need to, to get the pH within the range that we're hoping for. And then in a finished product, we've got these set protocols to get it um, for any of you science nerds out there for pH around 4.2 to 4.3 uh, or below to ensure that the finished beer is acidic enough to kill any bacteria that might still have found their way into the beer somehow. Um, all of our beers usually do finish in that. I haven't seen the one that hasn't, but you can, at that stage, choose to add more acid to bring that down to uh, ensure that it fits into your specs. Um, in terms of a broader kind of recipe change, uh, we, a while back, just found that our Hopsmith IPA, the one that you're drinking at the moment, um, as people kind of got into the hazies a lot more and wanted this huge, intense flavour, the Hopsmith, as a big, at the time, 7.2% IPA, probably needed a little bit more in its dry hop regime to get that bigger aroma. Um, and so that was a change that we trialed a number of times and found a number that we liked and stuck with it. Um, but yeah, those are mm. easily, easily adaptable if we need to make any changes. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on, on what each one of the three hops brings and maybe even how, how it's changed, I suppose. The follow-up question would be how's that changed from from recent or from past versions? Um, but yeah, what what should we be expecting from each one 
each one of the hops? So the main thing that when we try and come up with a new beer, obviously this isn't a new beer, but is the focus and the core of what we do is um, creating balance in every beer that we make. And so when you're using three hops at once, uh, the same way as a chef making a really nice meal has the ingredients, but it's all about the balance that comes together. And so for me, uh, the Amarillo is the most dominant hop in this beer. And I find that it gives those traditional West Coast flavors that you'd expect in an IPA of quite piney, um, not quite as tropical fruity as some of the others that are in there. The Simcoe in this, I think especially this, um, this year's harvest that we got, this year's crop, uh, had quite a citrusy lime flavor to it. Uh, and that's when we've done single hops in the past, the mosaic that we'll get to next, uh, that kind of stuck out for me a bit more uh, from the Simcoe. And Centennial, one of the classic C hops, bit old school, but again, it's one of those hops, if you're doing a West Coast in this kind of style, is you can't really leave it out. It's It provides so much, I think, uh, really full-bodied hop in terms of touches on a bit of those notes, a little bit of tropical, a lot of pine. Uh, and so you're not going to get, when you're drinking this, a complete fruit bomb that you expect with a hazy or mosaic and galaxy or any of the newer ones. It's a little more subdued than that, but it it is about the three of them coming together and producing something that not only highlights the hops, but the malt that goes into it as well, equally is important. And you just mentioned this year's Simcoe harvest being... Um you know, I guess every every year's harvest being different, how much of that, of like, that's, that makes a pretty big difference, I guess, how you use those hops as well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And not even just one particular year. I mean, certain lots on farms will produce different um, hops and the different varieties of the same hop. Um, we haven't been yet, but I think Dave, our founder, has been invited. Might Definitely not this year, obviously, but next year might be able to make it over the States for harvest um, because being able to kind of know what you're planning to brew for the coming year, you can pick hops that are uh, like the hops that will be harvested for you. It's all contracted. You can pick ones that will suit your needs, whether you want something that's a little more citrusy this year, or you want to go back to the more piney stuff. Um, and so you can actually see those hops there in person and smell them, taste them and get an idea of what you've got for the next year. There's something really magical about that. I really love that idea. That reminder that like most of us have grown up in an era where, where beer was made through manufacturing, where occasionally when you hear things like that, it feels like that it is craft. It's, it's, that's what we, that's what we look for when we think of craft beer that someone's actually kind of going in and the pro and looking at the primary ingredient and finding something that they they're really they want and they're happy with absolutely and i think it all comes down to the farmers as well beer would be nothing without the hop farmers the malt farmers as well barley farmers uh, and you can see our craft is a result of their craft and all the effort that they put in early on the reason we have so many good beers and across the world now really is because of the hard work that the farmers have been able to put in to create yeah. an awesome product. Yeah. Even just our access to really good quality hops as well has really increased over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And especially the, 
hop programs in Australia, producing like world-class hops. Um, the Galaxy to come out of Australia is one of the most popular hops in the world for, especially with the hype haze thing going on at the moment. Um, and I think, yeah, definitely something for our farmers to be proud of. And sometimes I, the farmers don't really get the uh, acknowledgement. So this is good. This is something hmm. we've, uh, you know, it's great to, to sort of put that out there. And, and I think everyone sort of forgets that there's that background thing going on that no one really sees. So yeah, yeah good shout out. I haven't seen a single paddock, like a single paddock or like a, yeah, a single paddock hop thing before. What do you call, what do you call what they grow hops in? I hop haven't field. Hop field. Oh, a field, a yeah. single field <laughs> beer before. I mean, yeah, that would be yeah, well, fascinating. Here in, here in Vic, I know there are quite a few up in the high country, um, out towards sort of, um, like Brighton. Yeah. Um, Beach West and that kind of thing. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's a, like, if it's like a very. There are, I've actually heard of stories out of out of the states with some of the uh, West Coast brewers that actually will when they they'll go pick a brewery. And there's actually a couple of uh, breweries that are based on hop farms, and they'll they'll literally do paddock paddock by paddock hops. Oh, that's great! Um, and so yeah, Yakima Yakima Chief, um, which actually they're out in Washington. They've they've got a, a tribute brewery on them, and and they do those those kind of breweries, which is really cool. Yeah, I've, sorry. Okay. I was going to say I've heard stories about you know even like on on a on a hop um, hop field the same exact same variety of hop but three rows over, one just smells really strongly of mango mm. and then just a bit over it smells of you know it's very piney and resinous. It's the same hop. Like that's that kind of stuff is, I think for me anyway, uh, very really interesting. I think it would be great if we could get kind of more of the like beer drinking public, especially to kind of appreciate this aspect of it because Australians love their wines, love going to vineyards, love the exact same thing, like terroir, like one grape grown here on this side of the paddock or on this side of the hill, completely mm. different to one up here. It's the exact same with uh, hops. And uh, I think getting people to understand that beer isn't, or can be as um, diverse, if not yeah. more so than wine. And uh, that, the raw ingredients that we use are a huge part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like there's not people going up to the high cut. It's not like people aren't going to bright. And most of them are, are you know, they're, they're riding, well, mountain biking or downhill biking, most of them. But yeah, there's no reason they can't get up there and also yeah, be in a, a hop field. And it'd be fascinating just to see a hop field that over over years kind of develop and and people people producing the same hops in the same field. We I'm going to change the I'm going to change the angle very sharply. So COVID and this is probably more of a an interesting marketing kind of directional thing. It's affected everyone. It's all a bit shit. Some people it's been not as shit as others. Um, but yeah, how's it affected you guys? Particularly the 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 tap room uh, that would have been dramatically affected, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But yeah, how's it affected you and your planning and and what you guys have been trying to put forward and what you guys had in mind at the start of the year compared to now? It's uh, it's it's really it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, this was something that uh, you know through the whole through the whole through the whole industry 
uh, for almost hit it for six. And, um, you know, for, for us, the, the big thing that we've actually, that we were working on last year was uh, uh, that we, there were a couple of key identifiers that we wanted to change about how we were doing our business. And one, the, one of the things was uh, building a big cold storage unit in, in the brewery. So we actually, uh, January this year, bought all of our cold storage back from being stored off-site at a cold at a cold storage back into the brewery uh, for all of our all of our New South Wales uh, distribution, uh, which was which was really big part of that. We had a couple of uh, a couple of drivers on it and things like that. And the other big key thing that we uh, identified last year was we wanted to bring, we were using the uh, guys at East Coast Canning to do all of our canning for all of our beers over the, over the last, I think we've now been in cans for three and a, nearly three and a half years. And they got us to the point where we, where we are today um, and they did such a great job with us, but we wanted to bring that in house. And so we actually uh, installed a cask canning line in the brewery, I believe, it, the second week of February, so that was one of the one of the big things that we had planned on from last year. And so when COVID hit, um, you know, obviously we've got so many uh, pubs, pubs, bars, uh, RSLs that have supported us for so long. But uh, and we had obviously a lot of beer in tank. And one of the things we were able to do with that new canning one was actually shift all of our production to go into cans. Um, and thankfully, it was something that we'd already been. Uh, planning for to do more of our distribution into cans and it really accelerated that process for us. The, the cold storage bit, I mean, both bits of that are fascinating, but what was sort of the thinking behind that? And I guess the why now question more than anything else, you know, why did it go out and then why, why now to bring it back in? So I think, think for us, for at the, at the very start, look, when you start, when you're starting a brewery, it's, uh, it, you know, you, you're basically starting it and, and getting the, uh, you know, it's always good to get outside help for it and, and you often don't have the resources because all you're focusing on is making sure the best beer possible. As the business grew up and as, as the business grew, uh, grew, we were able to identify that if that it was something that we were able to keep a little bit more of a control of instead of sending, sending uh, beers to a, to, a third, to a third site, we were able to keep everything on site cold. Uh, just it just helped really help uh, what what we were looking to do, um, uh, and then also then send fresh beer to our Victorian and Queensland markets direct from the brewery as opposed to sending it and then having it having it handled a couple of different times. Yep. Um, so that was and again being able to keep everything on, on site was, was great. How do you handle your distribution up there out of interest? I mean, is that do you do that through a particular sort of company, or is it you know how does it, are you doing it yourselves if you're doing your own cold storage? And this is it's called the cool room because I'm fascinated by these kinds of questions. You know, it's a it's a, it's a great question. Look, obviously, before when we were when we it was you know it's so much easier to use a distribution partner to get the beer out to, to get the beer out to people, but we found that. If we brought it in-house and, and put the had the cold storage ability there, we had our own drivers handing the beer directly to customers. We had another touch point with with our with our customers, and, and we've actually really seen that that's been a, that's been a big thing for us over the last uh, you know 
you know, it's nearly been eight, eight nine months now um, that we've got people who are full-time employed by us as the brewery that when they're handing the cases of beer over to people or delivering the kegs down the chute, that we've got that whole end-to-end process. And I think that's a really nice, I think it's a really good customer-orientated business uh, focus there. It kind of feeds a bit back into, and um, one point you guys are saying just before about that that nice idea of craft, in, in, but in this sense, it's like it's it's us the whole way, start to finish. Um, you know, which is obviously it's hard to do, and it's taken us a while to be able to get all those, you know, every chain that link covered ourselves. But like, it's nice to be able to, um, you know, have the beer go from from the brewery to our own drivers and then straight into, into venues and, and stores, um, you know, all, all on our own backs, basically. Yeah. That makes a difference if, you know, as a, someone who runs a pub, you know, someone who's got the, if your delivery person has the knowledge to go, oh, well, the pub's not open every day. I'll give Dave a call before I drop it off to check whether the pub's open today or if it's just easier to drop it at his, his house because it's there rather than someone who's, you know, driving around the suburbs grumpy that the publican's not at the pub at seven o'clock in the morning on a Monday, which or, happens. Or leaving the kegs out in the sun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's even more pertinently, but you're 100% correct. Or even leaving cases out in the sun because it's much easier to run down the street with a case than it is with a keg. <laughs> this might be an opportune little moment, I reckon, friends, to have a little pause for two or three minutes. Rightio. So we're back with sort of part two of our online Meet the Brewers session with Akasha here. And we've just opened up the mosaic. And um, the reason we're sort of doing these in the order that we are tonight is because one follows on from another. And so who'd like to explain why the mosaic is the logical one to have after the uh, the hopsmith? Don't all talk at once. I think George is probably the best one to cover this. I'll go for it. So these two beers are really perfectly sum up Akasha and what we try to do. They're, the malt bills are both actually pretty similar, um, but the way that you get the flavour is completely different. The way we went about it is completely different, but it's a good transition going between the two because you have the same malt base and this one lets the hops do the talking. So when we have a beer like Hopsmith, definitely our flagship, it's, as I was mentioning earlier, that blend of the three hops and trying to get that balance between all of them. Uh, this beer, slightly different. It's just a single hop. And so <laughs> Mosaic Hop is um, uh, one of the hops that has become incredibly popular recently, uh, lending itself to those tropical fruit flavours that you want in hazies and... Uh, yeah, all those super tropical fruit kind of beers that you get. Um, but the challenge when approaching a beer like this is how do you get the same kind of flavor, the same kind of balance when you've only got one hop to use in the mm. same way? So I used the chef analogy earlier, um, like a, one of those master chef challenges or something you see where they normally they have full pantry. In this one, they've got like two ingredients, make a world-class dish. And so for us, it is trying to get the most out of this hop, not only because we want to challenge ourselves, but we love this hop. So this one in particular uh, is a great 
example of how uh, we come up with beers and recipes here at Akasha. So for those that haven't been to our tap room, we have a little 300 liter pilot brew house and some 300 liter fermenters, which means that we get usually about five or so kegs out of them. And it's really a chance for us to try something new, um, something a bit out there that we wouldn't normally do and just put it on tap in the tap room and get feedback from our locals who are often our toughest critics, but our like good friends as well. Uh, and so this beer started exactly like that. It was in a period where we were doing a single hop series. We obviously love our hops, but as brewers, we really wanted to understand what was going on, what every hop was contributing at different times. And so we did a single hop series and um, went through a whole bunch and we still do. We still do Sabro being our most recent one, but this one was one that we did in that small 300 litre system and produced probably four kegs out of it, put it on tap in the bar and our locals and us as well uh, loved it. And so we were like, okay, let's give this a bigger go on our kind of uh, medium sized tanks, 2,400 litres, did that. I think we may have done it once or twice and the feedback that we got was phenomenal. And not only did we love it, it's a little hard sometimes to know whether it is good or not, or you're just so surrounded by it that you just love it. But we did it again and again, and it just kept growing in popularity. And we realized we were onto something special here. And so I think towards the end of last year, it joined our core range uh, and got its own can. And now Matt will have better information for you, but is definitely one of our biggest sellers and a beer that really holds a special place in the heart of especially the brew team. One of the questions, we speak to different breweries obviously each week and some don't have any of those sort of little trial tanks, uh, which we find pretty amazing in terms of what they churn out without them. Can you imagine and do you ever sort of go to a a full release without giving it a little trial first or is that the kind of thing that would give you the heebie-jeebies, you know, just to know it's sitting there in the tank and not being able to do much about it once you've got the big capacity tanks going. Uh, we, we still do that to an extent. Uh, I was having this chat, chat with Dave, our founder, yesterday, actually. Who's you... watching, always watching, I'm told. <laughs> I, like the all-seeing eye on the can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to ask about the significance of all of, the, all of that in a minute, but it does make sense now. Um, but, yeah, we were chatting about how um, equating back to like a chef again, who can, who's studied their crafts, work years and years, can look at a recipe and without cooking anything, they can taste it. They know exactly what it's going to be like. And so as a brewer, when you kind of spend that time honing your craft, you get to a similar kind of level where you can see a recipe and know exactly what it's going to take. Like whether that's a certain hop, uh, an addition at a certain time, different grains, it'll do different things and you can be able to tell that and so for beers that we are fairly confident and we know that we'll be good we will go straight to that Um, for example the next beer that we'll try the double hazy was one of those beers and Uh, you just said to dave the owner you just sort of said don't worry about the expense of this it'll turn out okay trust me (laughs) i didn't really say i just brewed it and then he got the invoices (laughs) 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 Um, 
But for things that are a little more out there, and this was early days Akasha type stuff, and so wasn't as comfortable with that, but five years for us is a pretty long time to be able to hone your craft and know these kind of ingredients that you're working with when you try something different. And that's what we're using the pilot system now is to be able to, the brewers obviously love producing these beers, but they like to do the weird and wacky stuff a bit as well. And so that gives us a chance maybe to play a bit more with sours or uh, darker beers that Akasha isn't usually known for, but just so we can, keep the brewers entertained yeah the other thing with the pilot system i think as well is that that's nice is it gives us the chance to to go to our to our best customers um who you know have really supported us really well and go hey you guys have done so well for us and helped us out so much come to the brewery what kind of beer do you want to make let's make a beer together and then we get you know we get that chance to because with the with the, the bigger tanks you know we can't you can't do a, a collab and with a, with a venue and ask them to take you know 50 kegs um so with this you know we get the chance to you know bring our, our good customers over um ask them what i want to do we'll, we'll get them involved with a with whole brew day and, and um you know let them be a brewer for a day essentially and make the beer that they want to do and then we can have you know three or four kegs of a beer that is is just for them just for us in the tap room as well that they sort of you know had their hands all over and, and designed and uh make a bit more of a special thing as well which is nice What's yeah. the wackiest thing you've done on your... Sorry, George. What's the wackiest thing you've done on your, your pilot system? Well, there's been a lot of wacky ideas recently proposed, um, maybe somewhat attributed to our Dutch lead brewer, but uh, nothing too crazy. Some strawberry sour New England IPA type milkshakey things, but... No, nothing, nothing too crazy in the realm of where craft beer is now, but um, the importance of that pilot system is not only to flex your brewing muscles and try something new, but make sure that it is still Akasha at heart. Uh, unfortunately, we're not home brewers, and so we have to stick to our brand, and it, is, it runs into everything that we do, whether it's a imperial stout barrel aged or something it'll still have an occasion touch i'm sure there'll be hops in there um but yeah everything that we do still sticks within that akasha range there was that blueberry sour a few years ago that uh is is, is mentioned every day i don't think that was a pretty a bit of a standout beer it was just you know Hot deep pink. deep yeah sort of pink purple sour um blueberry sour nipa Well, I reckon we're about ready to move on to the real topic of conversation for the night. The reason that prompted us to get you on right at this point in time. And that's all of the amazing new look and new design that you've been working on and the merch and the hats and everything we can see resplendent in the room tonight. Um, yeah, I totally want one of those hats. That's why I'm wearing it. Subliminal <laughs> <laughs> sales. The... The, the question that I'm asking, I'm going to ask it in a kind of naughty way, but it's meant with a, you know, who'd first of all like to describe the old look, particularly for people overseas and in places that maybe they didn't, that they haven't seen the old Acacia look. And was this a sort of just a growing feeling that things needed to change or did someone say it out loud once for the first time? Or was it a bit more surreptitious than that, than that where you sort of had to go and mumble it a few times and before 
the idea of doing a complete rebrand and the expense and all of that of doing so really caught on? Look, it's a it's a great it's a great question. Um, do you want me to start with what the old brand used to look like? Yeah, please. Mm. I think Crofty can probably hold up a couple of old cans <laughs> for us. Just to for people in the Zoom room, that's the beauty of being in the Zoom room. You can get those kind of updates. But particularly for for people who are literally overseas, and we love our branding discussions on the podcast. So you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. I mean, and as as uh, when we when we start when uh, Dave started the brewery uh, in 2015. You know the the key component of it is is they were fantastic brewers. Where it wasn't necessarily about designing a brand. It's all about He's designing. Nodding. Yeah. It's, it's all about brewing great beer, and that was that, that was something that we did. So, look, our, our our old branding essentially, if you think of uh, the Jurassic Park, the third Jurassic Park movie, where there's a a claw down the screen. If you think of that as four claws across the screen, as a big red stripe. Uh, that it was the key component of the of the old branding. Um, there, it, you know, it was sort of a cartoon, pretty block letters on a on a black background. It was pretty nondescript and didn't, and and again, probably didn't quite fit where we were, where we thought of ourselves as being a premium beer producer. It was sort of uh, something that, again, as when we when we started five and a half years ago, never thought we'd be the point we would be selling beer all across the country and that was something that we're a tap we're a keg only brewery and uh thought we'd let, let it shine and, and after after you know five five years we definitely decided that it was time to do something a little bit different in the old one was kind of one way you know say we're starting the brewery and you look at it as a design of the old logo and go oh that looks pretty cool and don't probably give it a whole lot more thought than that. And it's not, it's not, it wasn't the kind of thing that was, I guess, um, designed to be this whole brand. So yeah, it got to a point where um, it just probably needed a bit of an update and, and, and it wasn't, it didn't, didn't feel yeah like, like us. That sort of thing where it's like the first album cover, but you haven't really got the theme for the art and stuff yet. You know, the music might be great, but it takes a while to sort of start to figure out what's going to keep, coming in those sorts of things. Yeah, the different elements are just a bit disjointed, I guess. I've got to say, four claws across the screen sounds like a great album name, if not a great <laughs> beer name to me. So, you know, hang on to that one for, you know, your 10th anniversary or something you like that. You should make a beer called that instead. That's what I'm saying. 10th anniversary beer, just yeah. to, to hark back. So I kind of so, feel like the Jurassic Park analogy worked really well as well. Like, you need a beer yeah. that uh, brings that back home, yeah. So... Where did the idea of changing it come from? Was it you guys out in the, on the road trying to sell the beer to people or did it start from like Dave the owner or did it start from the brew? Like where, where does this sort of idea start to, to germinate? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. So this is, this is something that, that started for us back in probably November, December last year. Um, one thing that we, one thing that we were we were looking at as we were as we were looking at ourselves, um, uh, what we were what we were looking to do and what, what the future really held for us is, we uh, enlisted the services of a, a, of an outside third party company, because again, you know, we as we as we've gone for five five and a half years now, we find that. Uh, We've got we've got experience in brewing great beer and, and selling great beer to our, our great customers and things like that. But we're not from a design background, and it's always good to see people and and get uh, 
had outside help. So we enlisted the services of a, of a third party. And, and one of the things that they, they did was they, they actually helped us put together a survey that we, one, gave to our internal team. You know, it's always, it's always, it's always, hard, it's always good and, and hard and you want to know what, what, your, what your team is, is, actually, is, is thinking about what they're, what they're doing as a job. And we also uh, put together a survey for our, for our customers, basically our, you know, with, uh, our mailing list, our couple thousand strong mailing list got, a, got an email with questions on things that we wanted to know. Um, and, and so that, that was, that was sort of really the start of it. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the big things, you know, one of the great things from our team that we got back was that, uh, they love the beer we produce. They're all, all invested and all involved in, in the beer that we, we were producing. And that was, that was great. To, that was great to see from, uh, from, from, from us in, in, in upper, ma- in, you know, upper management, it was great to see that everybody was so involved in, in, in what we were doing. But one of the big things that our team said to us that sometimes our message could be a bit disjointed, um, you know, look, different looking cans from our core range to our limited releases. And, you know, one of the things that we got back from, our, from the consumers was that sometimes our beers uh, were not too sessionable, and also it was hard to fit the the beers in in a single family, um, and and those, those were those were really two big, you know, almost that yep. stood out more than anything else that really led us down to this starting process of of, of what we were looking to do. That's not the answer I was expecting, but it's a really interesting answer because. It's the first time I think we've ever had anyone on the show who's literally said we went and surveyed people, which is what a whole lot of other businesses do and a whole lot of other, you know, that's a pretty common thing, but I've not heard it in beer where it's often, you know, well, let's, we're going to get onto the story about why Akasha is called Akasha, but when I was asking before the show about how to pronounce it, the answer was you can pronounce it like you like, but it's Akasha. <laughs> uh, that's a bit like a whole lot of other people's opinion as to logos, style of beer and everything else. You know, think what you like, but we're doing what we like. Whereas you've really gone out and asked the question and then responded to the answers. Well, it's, it's one thing to do what we, what you just do whatever you want and do what you, you know, you think is best. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like it makes the most sense to ask the customers. They're the ones who are out there, you know, spending their money buying your beer into what they want to drink and not just, you know, impose uh, on, on everyone what you think is going to be a good beer. I think as, as well, as Matt touched on, that survey not only went out to our customers, came to us as staff as well. At the time, I wasn't any part of the management team or anything, but it was all done anonymously and was encouraged to be as open and brutal as you want. But as Matt pointed out, like most people, well, everyone said that they love working for the company. They love what we do. But what I wrote down, and I'll happily say at the time, and it turned out everyone else kind of had a similar vibe, was we just didn't have the brand identity and recognition that we wanted for the hard work that we're putting in in every other product, every other aspect of the product. And so for us, well, for the management team at the time, it became pretty clear we needed to improve our consistency across the board. And you see now our cans uh, coming here now, as well as our Akasha project series that we have going, really brings it all together and shows who we are 
And I think the aim is so that every time you walk into a bar, a bottle shop, pub, whatever it might be, you'll see that hopefully now you're part of our inner sanctum and you'll see that logo. You know what you're in for, whether you know the beer or not, you know it's going to be a hot forward beer, high quality. And yeah, we're really proud of the way that it's come out now. Yeah, I mean, I won't make you listen to the last 60 episodes of the podcast and the, you know, 180 hours of discussion they contain. But so, so often we touch on this same point of breweries that we love, but it's so hard, particularly if you're looking at a fridge over a bar and you're three metres away, um, to pick out which beers are from which. And, you know, if you're walking in with some mates and you just want to look like someone who knows what they're talking about, you'll point at a set of beers, even if you don't know the specific ones, but you know the brewery and say, what have you got from Hop Nation? What have you got from Sierra Nevada? What have you got? Because you can at least know which brewery you're dealing with and you can ask the question without looking too silly about it. And there might be a whole lot of other beautiful looking cans, but there's not too many people are going to walk up and go, uh, I know it's. I know you're really busy tonight, but can you tell me about the five prettiest cans that you have in there, and the the one with the butterfly that I've never seen before? Um, what's that all about then? Like, um, won't get you a great response from the bar staff. Well, I think we like. I mean, me personally, I do love uh, those cans. You see, with the really, really great detailed can art, and it is like art is the operative word on some of these beers. They look amazing, but. Like you said, you know, you, we wanted, I think the main goal with these was for the beers to be identifiable from a distance and to really stand out. And I think that's what, um, that's what they've done. Um, so while, you know, those really nice, nicely detailed and, and, and well-designed and artistic cans are, are amazing. I think this is what, you know, what suited us and our needs better. So you've got the feedback from the punters. You've got the feedback from the team where do you go when you decide you actually, is it the same people who did the surveys for you that put you onto the design people or how do you make that sort of bit, you know, as, as, as a cool room group, we've, we've been discussing design and stuff lately. And um, that usually involves Travis and Warren who know how to use computers properly having a crack at designing things. But where did you guys go on that front? So it was a pretty multifaceted uh, approach. I mean, uh, basically, we we uh, again we went out we went out to market with the uh, with the original proposal to and again we, we wanted to look at this thing as a, as I said we're not we're not designers we wanted to have designers come to us and pitch what they thought that they could uh, they could do and and somebody and we really wanted to work with somebody who we felt understood what our brand was and, and what, what our brand was all about. And so, you know, we're to, we're to market, we got, we got different proposals from all kinds of companies from, you know, some quite large design firms, um, you know, to, to, to some smaller firms. And we ended up um, uh, getting pitched by a, a, a basically a, a team, they're a relatively uh, small business team. It's a, it's a copywriter, copywriter and brand design person. And then as well as, uh, and who worked with uh, Vincent, who was the designer who came up with it. So they're a two-man team, um, which again for us as a as a as a smaller brewery, it was uh, great to be able to work with somebody who wasn't from a, such a large firm that you'd get lost in the shuffle. And we were able to get that person on. Um, 
uh, service where they really invested in, and built on the team. And you know, there was a couple of uh, op options there, and, and it was it was great to see. You know, one of the first things that they did, they knew exactly what our beers were, and we knew what we were all about. And um, they really helped us come up with a couple of our key fundamentals that we'd, we'd always talked about internally as a team, but hadn't necessarily been able to execute that out in the marketplace. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things, you know, we've got two core statements that are ones on the on the side of the wall now in the in the tap room that says great beer is our everything. And that again, that, that basically comes and what I was teasing to right at the very start of this conversation is what the name Akasha means. And yes, let's 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 come on, let's do that. All right, let's let's do it. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. So Akasha, uh, so again, as we started, Akasha is a Sanskrit word that means, basically means the everything, it encompasses everything. And, and this is really where, where we fit in with this, with this terminology is that, uh, you know, great beer is our everything and Akasha encompasses everything and it, and it really encompasses your world, encompasses everything that you're all about. It's all, it's that fifth element. It's that special, it's that special juju that really, really brings it all together. And, and, and then that second part of it, and you'll see it right in the middle of the, tr of the triangle. It's that hop, it's that hop logo. And, you know, um, it, you know, hops, hops are everything for us. It's, um, it, it's, it's what we base all of our beers, beers about. And, uh, and, and that's sort of where this, where the, where the logo really come, came uh, to us. And, and, and so our second tagline that we use is for the love of hops and, you know, great beers are everything. That's, that's our culture. That is what we are about. And for the love of hops is, is why we go in every, every single morning, and, you know, wake up with, with a smile on my face every morning, know that I'm talking about hoppy beer. And uh, when we go out to talk to customers and, and our designers and, and, and the guys, Vincent and Brendan, really did a great job really bringing that to life and, and we're so excited to get it out there. I think, I think with the logo as well, like speaking at the old ones before, you know, how we said it didn't really represent us or our beer that much. I think this, is, this new one does a good job of that because it really, it really does, it probably in as clear a way as possible, um, show you that our focus is hops like literally in the in middle of the eye is a hop that is that is our focus in our beers that's what we try and you know always um make our beers around so that's kind of i think where where that really shows shows everyone without even having to know much about us um or our beers if you can look at that i think a lot of a lot of beer drinkers will go oh, okay I, I have an idea what i'm what i'm in for here now, hopefully people are getting towards the end of whatever size of the mosaic they've had. So just to give people fair warning that soon we'll move on to the double hazy mosaic. But I guess it's one of those questions for me, you know, we, there's this sort of thing in, you know, let's say potato chip culture where uh, chicken chips are green and salt and vinegar are purple and all of these sorts of things. How did you go about deciding which beers get which colour schemes and I'll be honest, mosaic doesn't scream camel, which I was the colour I'll name that can to me. So we wanted to still uh, bring heart back to, again, we, it wasn't that we didn't, didn't like the old brand or anything like that. We still wanted to bring elements back into 
what the other can, what the original cans look like. So you know, green, we green was a hop, was always for Hopsmith, and hops are green, and 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 there was a there's a certain there's there's a certain symmetry there. Fresh water was always a blue can. It needed to it needed to still signify with that with that blue can. Mosaic was always a gold can. was was always gold for us, and gold and and the mosaic can still signifies with that with that gold uh, icon iconography there. Um, Canada Bay isn't exactly purple, but it it I think it's I think it's definitely one of our most most inviting looking looking cans and things. Like I'm that. happy to so, call it purple. Sorry, I'm happy to call it purple. <laughs> it's uh, it's it. Look, it, 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 I think you know it's probably one of my favourite looking cans, and, and obviously I'm, I'm obviously going to be biased, but I think the purple displayed on the on the on the CBX. So, um, but it really was just we wanted to make sure that people still knew that the uh, the the beer that was in the tins still reflected what it was before that people loved. It really was just more a more mature approach to the to what everything looked like for us. And, and George can attest as well that um, Dave has this has this obsession with the, the the trilogy in brewing and the three the three most important elements and how they've always got to be in balance and, and um, the 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 triangle the pyramid there I think definitely shows that George I'm sure you can what's talk the trilogy explain that. the trilogy to us just for those who are coming in late George oh, thanks Larry <laughs> you're welcome man in time. Just enjoying your time in the hammock there, but now you've got to climb back out and get close to the microphone. Yeah, so it is at our heart what we do is these big, hoppy, easy drinking, yet really complex beers, I think, at the heart of them. Uh, so being able to keep that identity of hot forward beers at the centre of everything, great beer is our everything, uh, and for the love of hops, why we do it. But the only way that you'll really be able to sell that to other people and be able to share that is with consistency and with quality. And so everything we do is great procedures from the start, from the very beginning, the ingredients that we source right through to the finished product that you get. Uh, it's all about ensuring that the beer that I'm drinking here that I can this morning is the same beer that you might be drinking in Melbourne can two weeks ago or Perth or wherever you might be. Uh, and so that is at the core of what we do and why we do it. And yeah, it all comes down to making the beer that we're most proud of. And that comes from quality and consistency. Now, just before we move on and, and open up the double hazy, or while we, while we do that even, while people get those ready to go, we've had a lot of comments in the Zoom room, and I think it's you know worth picking up on the fact that your previous merch suited not only blokes, but women as well, and that's not true of every uh, beer company's merch by any means. Is that something you're sort of conscious about in terms of being, uh, you know, all of what you do, being approachable by everyone? <coughs> I mean, not, maybe not, not necessarily a conscious thing, but, you know, everybody drinks beer. Everybody likes wearing beer. Everybody likes wearing band shirts and things like that. And uh, I guess I can't speak to what other breweries do, but, yeah, I mean, we've always, you know, as, as, as far as we're concerned, we want everybody wearing an Akasha shirt when, if, they're, if they're available and things like that. And so, 
you know, there's no reason not to not have female shirts available and, and, and not have uh, yeah, all, all different sizes as much as we can keep them in, st in stock. And obviously, uh, you know, merchandise is, is, is one of those things that, that works really well for us. So, yeah. It's not, is it's is merch particularly important to the sale? Like, you know, when you guys are out, do you, do you sell stuff? Do you give it away? You know, tell us the secrets about why merch is important to a brewery. Yeah. I think the, the see, getting used to seeing the brand out there, I think, is is, is always important. I mean, I, I think that, I, again, I sort of said, uh, you know, band shirts before. Everybody everybody loves to, when you go to a concert, you see a fan of, of you know, they're wearing a, band, a different band shirt and things like that. Go to a beer festival and you see people wearing, a, you know, different beer merch. And, you know, if it's from a brewery that you love, if you walk past somebody in the street who's wearing a, a beer shirt of a brewery that you love, nine times out of ten, you end up gonna, you're going to say something or you're going to have a smile on your face because you see it. I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a super important thing that uh, at the end of the day for, for people to just, it, again, to showcase that themselves. Now... Hopefully everyone has their double hazy open. Let's we'll come back to sort of discussions around design and stuff in a second. But who'd like to talk us through this sort of move from the mosaic into the double hazy mosaic? That's a George question. <laughs> a nice pass in the buck there. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I was just really interested to see if anyone wanted to talk about it in front of George and see how they how that went. The <laughs> test. Ah. Uh, to be honest, this is actually the first time I'm doing this, but this is the perfect way to do it, to have the regular mosaic now to the double hazy. Um, With the hopsmith first. So hopefully we've gone on a real journey right along the way. A lot of hops. So the Akasha Project Series, should mention first, is our new, um, our new brand to really make sure that these beers that we want to brew that the public wants to see that we can try out every now and then they are not just us doing a trial and error kind of game it's a lot of research a lot of years of experience and um practices going into kind of crafting these beers the hazy ones especially but that's what you can hope to see from all of the upcoming akasha project releases will be our favorite beers that we can't do all the time but we love making so this one was a pretty important one because it was the first Akasha project release to go with our rebrand. It was the first one out there and we couldn't really see a better fit for doing an Akasha project beer than the mosaic, uh, which is a hop we love. Clearly we talked about in the last one, probably had to be a hazy given the way things are at the moment. Um, this past year in particular for me personally as a brewer and the company as a whole hazies have been obviously at the forefront of everything. And so we've done so much research uh, and because it really is a newer style of beer, the science that backs up every other beer that we kind of brew or try to brew is pretty set in stone. Whereas hazies, even in the U S is a relatively new phenomenon in terms of the greater uh, beer history as in the last kind of five to 10 years. So we're learning as much as anyone. And I really feel like this beer is a culmination of all the effort that our production team has put in and the research that we've put in to create something like this. 
So when you're tasting it, you're obviously getting the mosaic hop. And I really hope that you get the kind of similarities you can draw between the two, but they are entirely different beers. So when we go about making something like this, Hazy, it's also uh, 8%, 8%. Um, it's, it's about balance. It comes down to balance. And so the amount for home brewers out there, if you're working on kind of grams per liter or the mm. difference in these beers is almost double. Uh, and so how do you balance that amount of hops that create that much astringency? Yeah, they create great flavors, but when you put that amount of hops and keep them in suspension, that's where the haze is coming from. The interaction with the hops and the, the polyphenols from the hops and the proteins in the uh, grain from your beer. How do you kind of balance those two? And so for us, it's been a real learning curve and we definitely had beers that weren't quite there, but we really feel like this is the first Akasha project release was one that we we're really proud of. So what you're getting from this beer, hopefully, is of that big mosaic tropical melon stone fruit kind of flavors that you get in the initial, uh, the uh, West Coast version. This one's all kind of amped up a bit. The aromas will be bigger. Obviously, as a hazy, there's a ton of oats and wheat in there to really give it that full-bodied mouthfeel so that uh, it's almost thick in viscosity as you're drinking it. But at the same time, everything we do is for that balance. And so it's not going to leave you feeling sickly sweet, hopefully. Uh, not overly bitter, but just fruit juice, basically. Like I mentioned actually to, to these guys in our work chat during the week, I, I said that somehow this, this beer tasted to me like everything that I get from our normal mosaic, but on a massive amount of steroids, it was just really, really, you know, amped up. Um, all of those, those characteristics, the, the melon, the stone fruit, even just really ripe pineapple, just, it's just, you know, multiplied massively, I think for me. As Tyler, Dan Brew's comment in the chat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that you said that because that's exactly what we're trying to do because obviously I mentioned earlier, I love the diversity of beer and the way that hops are a major factor that doing something like this, where it's the exact same hop and all you're doing, the only kind of thing that you have to showcase is this one hop, but it can be so entirely different and the experience that you get out of it, when you would choose to drink it, how you would choose to drink it, it all changes. But yeah, it's just, it is at heart. We only do this job because we love it. This is us having fun, being able to produce a beer like this and play on the different uh, expressions of this hop. My sort of last little question about this beer, others might have some other questions, but is, um, do all the hops for the last two beers come from either the same producer or even the same batch? Or, you know, it follows up on sort of Dan's, point you know how how close are the two sets of hops you've used to create such different well varied flavors exactly the same if not the same bag but there's a lot more bags of hops in the double hazy but yeah exactly the same and so we uh brew our size contracts the hops that you get for coming year um and so we need to every year we did it uh, about a month ago i think so down with dave and did it but we project what amount of hops that we're going to use for the coming year. And so we're contracted that by our hop suppliers. 
And so it all comes from the same lot. And so they're entirely identical, the hops that you have in both those beers. That's fascinating because, you know, it, you know such a size difference in flavour and all those different elements you can pick when it gets that much bigger in the mouth. Uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, how do you guys see the, the market for hazies? Do you, do, have you guys noticed the shift? Are, are we dying down from the hazy market? Personally, I don't, I don't see the, the demand of the market for hazies, hazies in general, um, dropping too much. I just think people are, yeah, like George also said, maybe bringing it back towards a bit, a bit more business and a bit more balance. But I think, I think the that demand for just hazy IPAs in general is is going to be around for for a while, from my point of view. I think it was sort of what what was being spoken about before about the low bitterness of, of beer is really really popular. At the moment, I think bitterness is always the thing that has turned uh, people off beer. And I think that, um, you know, with things like hazies, we see a more diverse market that has ever been drinking beer. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of in my, you know, 15, 15 years in hospitality, I've never seen, uh, you know, a more diverse crowd of people drink, drinking different beers. And I think that hazies definitely help that. I think that I think you know what we see with this beer is that it's it's not it's not too over the top and and one of the key principles that George kept saying was was balance and and, and that's one of the one of the parts you know it's a it, one of the parts of the triangle is that balance is key it's it's the alcohol it's the hops it's the malt all coming together to create that balance and it's something that we've talked about since the, since the barista. Generally. Yeah. Looking at the uh, chat, kind of in transplant, but seeing Crofty say that the whole pursuit for grams per liter in hazies, I think great point. It's exactly the way that West Coast kind of went ten years ago, where everyone was going, "What what IBUs can you get? Like how high can you get it?" Now grams per liter, exact same thing. Like how many hops can you put in? It's like it's at a certain point, and there's like science behind it. There's diminishing returns for how much you're actually putting in, you will stop getting good results. And so for our beers in particular, we're definitely not going down that route. Ours is our method and approach to these hazies is how can you have slightly higher than our regular IPAs, but nothing crazy, but still get the same flavor that other people are doing. And that's not all throwing in more hops. It's a lot of different processes throughout the brew and the fermentation that you can do to maximize that flavor. I think that's what hazy should be. I'm glad George got on that question because I saw that. I saw that, and I was he pretty much read my mind then. Just then, George is I, where I don't think we're going to go down that, down that path of, you know, fighting for the for the highest or the most grams per liter. It's a bit. Uh, well, firstly, George said like it's just there's science behind it that says at a certain point you just don't get anything more or much more at all out of it. It just seems a bit, you know, over the top just for the sake of being able to put it onto a can basically. I think, you know, we're, we're very much about um, having really good processes and being able to like have that, have that balance in our beers. Nice. We've got a few questions coming through on the zoom room. Um, uh, Mark in our zoom room said, what, what's the next trend? What, what's the next thing you guys do? Um, 
after all this? It's a fantastic question. I mean, it's definitely the the the, the question on on everybody's. You know, everybody always tries to look in sales at what the next thing is going to be, and and I don't necessarily think we're probably a little bit different in, in that we're fairly, you know, unashamedly, and again, it's right in the middle of our our logo is that we're still going to be producing hop forward beers. And that's, 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 you know, we're almost pig headed in, in that, in that sense that we don't see hops going anywhere anytime soon. Um, you know, there's always going to be, there's always going to be drinks trends and beer trends. And, uh, you know, everybody's saying that it's going to be the summer of and, and things like that. And that's not necessarily what we are about as a brewery. We're not, we're not going to see a seltzer come out of the car shop. Uh, you know, this summer we're probably going to be producing, and when I say probably, me and George and, and Dave sat down and did the schedule and we know what beers are coming out over the next six months. And, oh, uh, go on, give us a little hint. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I reckon he might say hoppy beers. I reckon <laughs> <laughs> Dave's gone from just looking to waggling his finger as well. It's a remarkable uh, transition. Uh, uh, Dan Bruce in the Zoom room said, uh, is an IPL on, on the list? Like, come summertime, it's, we need to have more, more of those getting around. How was our Gabsby last year? It was a double IPL. Yeah. Um, With passion fruit too. Passion fruit. No less. But at a certain point, it starts to taste pretty similar to an IPA or a tropical fruit kind of beer. And I don't think people were quite appreciating it for what it was as a lager. Like, oh yeah, it's pretty good fruity IPA. Um, but when people start buying IPLs in mass, I'm sure we'll start brewing it. There you go, guys. You heard it here first on the podcast. Uh, buy more IPLs. <laughs> Um, I was going to throw it before we throw it open to everyone else. I was going to throw in the traditional cool room question and it probably, hopefully you guys have discussed this and figured out who's, who's, whose story's the best, but what, let's see, what, how do we, how do we, how do we word this? It's been a while. <laughs> that was the last time I throw this question to you, brother. Yeah, no, right? like, yeah. <laughs> What's the strange the call thing room because we love to cool hear the stories behind you know everyone... yeah yeah what's well the 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 question itself is what what's the strangest thing you found in a cool room but when it all comes down to it, it's what's it, we're we're pretty broad so we can go what's the strangest hospitality thing you've you've come across and given that everyone's come from pubs and bottle shops I'm sure everyone's got a little story I'll I'll I know I've. I Go on, Larry. George, do it. No, no, no. I know. I actually know George has got a better one than I do with this one. George has got a great hospital story. Okay, great. Uh, but George, oh. this, this mine's <laughs> mine's very cool room specific. Um, I so as I said, I used to work in um, uh, bottle shops and obviously spent a lot of time in cool rooms. And um, I remember once uh, having just walked into back, walked into a cool room just regular night in the bottle shop, and then had seen. Uh, just a pile of spew in the corner, essentially, and had and I had not seen a customer who'd come in or out that looked to me like they'd you know been the culprit, and I just I didn't know what what was going on here. And I, as you do, get onto the cameras and look at the footage, and I'd watch this guy walk into the cool room, grab a case off the shelf, and he just just as he was holding it, 
just as casually as you could possibly imagine, just turned his head, had his view at the side, didn't even, barely even broke stride uh, and just kept walking, came out, paid for his beer like nothing had happened. And uh, that was, that was for me a, a, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty interesting moment. David, as far as explosion stories go, I reckon that one's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's, different, it's, it's like a human explosion rather than a keg explosion. <laughs> uh, I think Sierra Nevada still win the uh, prize for the most beer ruined in a single uh, valve accident, but uh, it's all stacking up. <laughs> I, I have one story, and maybe it's not what you're looking for, but, but uh, uh, so... Back when I was managing managing pubs in the Rocks in Sydney, which is uh, one of the, you know, obviously one of the oldest oldest uh, colonial parts of, uh, of of Australia. So I did end up doing. Can you a, say which uh, pub? Uh, so the Hero of Waterloo. Oh, yeah, it's one of my favourites. <laughs> is, is that one of the many pubs that comes to be the oldest in Australia? It is one of the many pubs that that claims to be the oldest in Australia, but. Did a did a pub did a pub tour of that. Got taken down into the old cool room of the Hero of Waterloo, and, and as you go as you go in, they tell this story. And basically, it used to be where people would would drink up in the top bar, would pass out, and there actually is a shaft to the harbour of Sydney Harbour, and that was actually where they would used to they would wake up on a ship. And then they would be, uh, they would be dock hands of. Oh, uh, oh that's that's pretty good. That's, you know, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's the best. That's the best core advice. Holy shit! I'm glad that's that good nowadays. I would have. Oh. Yeah, I think I think we know what we're doing for the promo for this one, which is <laughs> is this the best cool room story ever? <laughs> that is impressive. Uh, Anyone else want to try and match? George, know? go on. Yep. It could be also a brewery behind the scenes. It's, this is just a bit where we like to lift the veil on what sort of happens behind the scenes. If I throw you under the bus here, George, I was I was talking about that uh, particular rooftop story. Come on, George, you're up. Don't, I, don't I, let the team down. I don't know what he's talking about. Oh no, <laughs> I'm trying to be cryptic here. <laughs> um, oh. I can't quite remember. I don't know. I don't really know the thresholds of what I saw in your promo thing or the questionnaire being like, what's the most confronting thing you've seen? Yeah. I hope no one's like eating dinner or anything at the moment. So we've, you're not, if you win the most confronting, you'll be beating a medical waste story. So that's, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, uh, mine also pertains to that same area of Sydney, which the rocks quite nice now, like right between the Opera House and Harbour Bridge was obviously early 1900s, late 1800s, the slums of Sydney. And so pretty big rat problem still to this day. And <laughs> I was working at a pub at the time that shall remain unnamed. Uh, and it was a pretty constant thing. Um, like a little less, not the punchline of the story, but they, the rats once chewed through the pure blonde line in the pub that I was working at. Rats have no taste. 
one day we went down and anyone that's kind of worked in an older pub in down underneath the bar in the cellar probably knows uh what's going on like there's always weird smells weird sounds uh not a nice place to be but you have to go down there a lot and one time we were at this pub and we were like i was doing all the cellar work down there down the cool room and there was a smell that was coming it was really bad for weeks and weeks and weeks we could not find the source of this smell wasn't a typical um like stuck on trap kind of rat that you'd normally find could not find it eventually someone uh one of the lights uh on the outside of the pub needed to be changed it was one of those uh fittings basically a giant sphere around the light and we had spares down in the cellar yes turns out a pregnant rat had gone in there because they thought it was a nice safe place to give birth left the baby rats could not get out oh oh yeah like yeah yeah. I did warn you. I did warn you. Yeah, you guys are coming to your own, <laughs> haven't, haven't you? It's you've pretty kept, good. You've, this is why we asked the question after a couple of beers rather than the beginning. <laughs> it's a very solid uh, contingent of answers you've just come up with there. George, yeah. George, is your yeah. phone handy? Huh? Your phone handy? No, 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 no. no. The, yeah. Luckily, we have a... <laughs> Jacob, we don't normally do this, but uh, Jacob, who's one of our longtime Melbourne listeners and receivers of packs, it's always a pleasure to come out to Jacob's uh, house and drop off some beer. Um, Jacob, you reckon you've got a cool room story, which well, I'd get far away. Well, I guess in, in the UK, the cool room is the cellar. And uh, I don't know if anyone's been to Liverpool in recent years. I haven't in recent years, maybe 10 to 15 years ago when I was first getting into craft beer. I went to a pub near the waterfront called the Baltic Fleet. Now, some of you may have been there before, but uh, basically it's one of the last pubs left on the waterfront. Most of them had gone. It used to be all pubs opposite the docks. But um, these guys got into brewing their own beer in the cellar. And when they heard I was interested in it, they took me downstairs to show me the whole operation after a few beers one night. And then they pointed out a feature in the wall. It was this kind of little nook that you could really only crawl through. And he said, yeah, uh, they're the slave tunnels because unfortunately in the era of slaving, all the pubs were linked in the, the cellar and these um, long tunnels, the slaves crawled through doing all the kind of manual labor of pushing kegs and doing various things. So quite a grim cellar. Oh yeah. That's a very grim cellar. Yeah. I, uh, I, did, I, I did just have a, a quiet private chat with George to um, tell him what I was what I was mentioning alluding to before he's with, out his, there. with his hospo story but he knows that I'm on what page I'm on now yeah I'm so you in. go on I had no idea what he's referencing but I remember now so <laughs> this, is this a happy one like which features with, much happier with yeah. puppies and flowers and you know uh, good stuff uh, almost like as happy. Or... <laughs> yeah. um, like opposite of the cool room maybe upstairs on the roof mm. <laughs> So this this, pub, sounds, this sounds dangerous now for sure. Yep. This pub was um, the same one as the rat incident, but it's a really <laughs> well-known pub and it's in a really central spot full of tourists right next to um, Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney. Oh. So often getting celebrities and royalty. And, yeah. 
Why give too much away? I think you've uh, given enough away. There, <laughs> yeah. For those of us that know our Sydney geography, which Warren does and I don't, so, you know. Four pubs on that street, to t- so take a guess. But we one day were, well, it was before my time, but I was told uh, by some friends at the time that often have some celebrities and stuff saying next door that might come in. Uh, one night, Keanu Reeves came into the venue and uh, was trying to keep a low profile, keeping his hat on and it was quickly worked out by the staff who he was and um, obviously being him and it's probably like around the time that he was a bit bigger than he is now, but asked the staff, he's like, oh, do you have Physically bigger in a sort of Russell Crowe kind of way or a bigger star in a Russell Crowe kind of way? Both, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Leonardo, <laughs> shout out if you're listening. He uh, asked for somewhere a little quieter, a little more private. He and a lady friend that he was with, to obviously not being in the prying eye as much. Busy Friday night, so the manager at the time, like, yeah, yeah, no worries, we'll take you up. Took them up behind the kitchen through accommodation up to this rooftop that wasn't used anymore, and was like, guys, don't worry about it. Like, we'll bring you some jugs, you'll be fine. We'll just leave it with you. And they're like, oh, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Had some beers, had some dinner, did the whole thing. About the pub closed at about midnight. About 2 a.m. during a pretty major staffies lock-in, they started hearing things being like thrown down off the street. They're like, what the hell is that? Went outside, realised they'd entirely forgotten that he was up there and he was still locked on the roof and couldn't get down. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's, that's, uh, you see, I taught strictly ballroom too much when I was a school teacher. So I was really hoping you were going to say they were doing the Paso Doble up on top of it. They very well could have been. They had a few hours to kill. So, you know, who knows? (laughs) I I love the fact they thought about just throwing shit off the roof to to get (laughs) someone's attention. (laughs) Or they were hoping to police a, you know, hit a passing police van or something. It or worked. Something. It worked. <laughs> now we've got at least one question and room for one more from the room. So Crofty, I know you've got a question. Uh, I don't know Crofty, whether you're familiar or not with Akasha's beers. Um, first of all, thank you for your support of the call room all the way from Sydney every week, particularly on Sunday afternoons. Far away with your question, brother. Um, yeah, I've, I've had the odd Akasha beer. I've recently come across them. Um, I, I, I always um, was a massive fan of the lager there. I thought yeah. it was the best thing, the best lager for five years that Akasha had put out. And also one of my favourite styles is the Amber Ale, especially in winter. And I was wondering um, what happened to the, the trade wind and the fire within. Uh, is that something that's going to come back in a different fashion or are they just off the uh are they just off the menu altogether these days no, it's a great question david i'm, I'm glad you i'm glad you've asked um, the trade bin currently is still being produced uh, is a keg only product at, at the moment um you know just obviously with due, due to market trends uh, and things like that. Uh, unfortunately, a craft lager is a lot more expensive than a uh, 
than a, than a mass-produced lager. So, you know, with all the hops and everything like that. So we did have to unfortunately discontinue the canned products for the time being. Um, not to say that it won't come back in the future. Uh, we are looking at ways of doing that uh, in the future. So uh, look out for our socials when we do announce it. But it is something we are planning on keeping, especially as a key product, um, which is good. And then the second, your second point, the Fire Within Amber Ale, an excellent beer, one of our, uh, I believe it was the third beer we ever released as a brewery. Uh, the Fire Within, we actually nearly brought it back this winter. Um, but as it was only a couple of months after the discontinuing of it being a full-time beer, we wanted to leave it just a little bit longer. So it will 100% come back uh, going into winter next year, but as one of our Akasha Project beers going forward. So that is those are beers that we still are very near and dear to our heart. Uh, commercial for those for those who love the trade wind, it will always be around in keg. I mean, it's it's an odd one in that it does always go really well in keg, um, but in in package as a as a canned craft lager, it seems like the market uh, essentially wants just that very you know sort of much more affordable six pack lager than something with a bit a bit pricier and a bit um, with a bit more to it. So that's kind of where that decision went with that one. But in terms of the kegs, it'll be around, I think, going forward. That, that's fair. I, I guess with the whole COVID thing across winter, the fire within didn't appear. <laughs> but that's all right. Um, just happy to hear it's not completely off the schedule and I will be able to get it in future. Thanks. You'll see it around for sure. Matt Brown, come ask me a question, brother. Um, so you guys do some brilliant IPAs and don't don't uh, you don't need to yell. You don't need to talk in capitals. I just got a baby next to me that's kind of yelling. Oh, and she's we, we didn't, oh, we didn't uh, know that. Yeah, sorry. Um, so uh, you guys do some brilliant IPAs, um, brilliant, very hot forward beers. Are you guys going to ever start? For lack of a better term, diversifying and showing the hops in different ways, like um, and complementing the hops, like a coffee IPA or a, a hops porter or these other things. Because uh, I think you got, I know Dave has done some amazing beers throughout all his career in the past, and I know all of his, you guys do some fantastic stuff. But what else is on the the books for you guys to start diversifying, or is it just are you going down the um, uh, the IPA path and just IPAs, different hops. Yeah, great question. I'm glad I saw you put it in the chat. I'm glad it, you got to read it out. Uh, absolutely not. So we're not kind of stick in the mud. We're going to die on the hill IPAs, West Coast IPAs. That's it. Um, we, we're the same as everyone else. We love drinking great beer and we like pushing the boundaries as the brewers. And so for us, we are, it was kind of a little tough with the rebrand coming up. We knew it was coming for a long time to be able to play too much with that. But now that we have this Akasha project label, you really will see us start to push those boundaries a lot more and hops will still be there, 
but it will be a chance for us to I don't know, attempt new styles and complement exactly as you said the hops and so for example uh, I think coming into summer especially this year sours are going to play a pretty big part and so we've devoted quite a lot of time to uh, putting developing recipes and techniques to be able to get these the hops and the flavors and uh, the profiles that we like into these kind of beers and uh, more to that we're starting gonna start our uh, barrel program as well starting to get some barrels in we're not going to do the crazy dessert stouts pastry stouts that other brews do really well not our thing but you'll definitely be sure that there's an Akasha touch to it there'll be hops um, but I think a big thing for us is kind of expanding our knowledge as well. We want to keep doing this. We want to keep loving doing this. And so whether that is, I think we've got planned for early next year, working with uh, New South Wales winery as well to try and do a little bit more in terms of, we bring our profile to the table, our hops and everything that we do and learning new techniques, new processes to be able to create a new product for us. And I think the hard work that we've done over the last couple of years and especially the last couple of months to create this product and these logos and this brand and everything that we're doing is now affording us the ability to expand more and expand our abilities. And yeah, we're a hundred percent with you where we're not going to rest on our laurels and every beer that you taste here is us and true to us and it's our core, but we will a hundred percent be pushing on and uh, yeah, creating something new. Like, like we've mentioned sort of before in terms of, you know, our, our brewery and our, our brand, we've, we've worked really hard over the last, you know, five years to, to let everyone know that, you know, we are, what they can expect from us is, is hot forward, is hot forward beers. So we were a bit hesitant to be able to, to do more out there things under that, just Akasha, just that, that same label as, as what the rest of our beers is, our, is our core orange beer. So the, the whole idea of the Akasha project kind of like almost like branch or sub label of the brewery is to be able to um, separate that from our core range, which is still going to be that hot focus beers. Um, and then, be able to do the kinds of things that we all like to, to drink and the brewers love to brew that are, that are very much different and out there without affecting that perception of what we have as our core range is being uh, very much hot focused. So I think that's, that, that was, a, that was a big part of, I guess, the separation of, you know, these, these two brands, you've got your core range stuff here and you've got a very, very different look for our um, culture project, which is, yeah, that was what was behind that really. So I think we're going we're gonna, to uh, wrap things up pretty soon. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, people in the Zoom room as well as on the Facebook chats over the last week or so. And this is meant in the most funnest way possible. The new logo kind of resembles something in the realm of the Illuminati logo with the eye no. in the top of the pyramid. No way. Can you guys kind of, you know, we live in this world where, where during COVID there's conspiracy theorists and there's, there's all this, all this crazy notions going out. Did you guys decide to do this just based on where the world is at the moment? Is this a, 
<laughs> so I think the quick answer is no, definitely <laughs> not. Very, but it's he's you asking, very asking, isn't it? It's what you're asking. I, I must say, it, the logo is quite amazing. And I did like the fact that you mentioned about the hop forward thing earlier. And if you look at the can, the hop is going to the right. It is going forward. It is it's looking forward, yeah. Someone it, asked that in the chat earlier. That is why it's that, because it's always looking forward. Why is the hop sideways? It's always looking forward. You know why the uh, Australian coat of arms has the emu and the kangaroo on it? Yeah, because they're the only two animals that can't walk backwards. That's exactly right. Also, the only coat of arms in the world where you can eat it. That's not (laughs) true, actually. (laughs) Well, then the marketing at a certain venue I used to work at where we used to tell Yeah, no, 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 I understand. But you're saying you've never eaten a maple leaf? (laughs) Maybe it's just me, but I don't I'll, I tried to eat the salt and eagle is delicious. I won't, I won't have anyone say anything less. Very much so. The Illuminati question was, was very much meant in a lot of fun. It's, um, it, it is quite an amazing logo. And the fact that, uh, like you said, the hop does move forward is quite amazing. No, it's, um, a, bit of, it's a bit of fun. But like, as well, I guess there, there is, you know, where, that, wasn't, that wasn't the intention. But we do like this idea of having this kind of like almost almost cult of hops and cult of IPAs and that's what we're about and it's not a secret at all we want everyone to be involved in this in this cult of ours that you know we're perfect really so bring uh, unlike the Illuminati you want everyone to be involved which yeah is there's great. no secret about it at all we want everyone <laughs> to be involved in this so like that's that's kind of so we're more than happy to play into that and, and to tell everyone about this sort of you know secret temple of hops and, and IPAs that we have in five doc. And that's kind of like, yeah, we're, we're happy to happy to play with that. I think, Love it. About. Said, I think now David, we're going to wrap up and we yes. are going to uh, stop the record. Anyone that wants to hang around and have a chat in the, in the call room, zoom room after this is more than welcome. But uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight. It's uh, it's greatly appreciated. Uh, thank you, Dave, for allowing your guys. He's, he's sitting in the call room in the background, very being very silent. Um, it's been a great chat. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks, Thanks guys. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. Hey, Dave. The oh, David. The Canadian coat of arms has a unicorn. Hey there, Cool Room listeners, we've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right, add over.